History rarely remembers the little people. The sands of the Gobi Desert have been blowing for more than 2,000 years. On the ancient Silk Road, hundreds and thousands of names have disappeared with the wind and the sand. But a 4th century Sogdian woman and her daughter have left their own legacy. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast. Of all the treasure hunters who went to Dunhuang, British-Hungarian explorer Mark Orlstein is probably the most famous one. Most of his collection from Dunhuang is now stored in the British Library and the British Museum. The British Museum's Stein collection has about 400 paintings from Dunhuang, including many precious ones. For example, there is a silk painting of the Medicine Buddha in the Pure Land in the British Museum's Stein collection. This artwork, created in the 9th century Tang Dynasty, is one of the largest among all the Dunhuang silk paintings. The British Library has a colossal number of Dunhuang relics. Its Stein collection contains over 45,000 manuscripts and printed documents on paper, wood and other materials from different sites along the Silk Road. Among them, over 20,000 items are in the Chinese language, several of which feature other languages written on the reverse side. About 14,000 scrolls, booklets and fragments in Chinese are from the library cave. Stein's collection also includes 5,000 more manuscripts on paper and 4,000 wood slips and wood shavings in Chinese found at different Silk Road sites. We already introduced the copy of the Diamond Sutra found in the library cave as the world's earliest surviving complete and dated printed book. This is just one example of thousands of invaluable treasures Stein collected from China. In 1906, Stein began his second expedition to Central Asia. A team of eight people set out from India on April the 20th. They crossed the Pamir Plateau and came to China's Xinjiang area. Stein hired a Chinese translator and assistant. They travelled eastward along the ancient Silk Road and searched for historical ruins and treasures along the way. At the same time, French explorer Paul Pellier was also exploring in Xinjiang. In order to arrive at Dunhuang ahead of Pellier, Stein quietly and dramatically sped up. Shortly after arriving at Dunhuang in 1907, Stein learned from a businessman that the guardian of the Mugao Caves, Taoist Abbot Wang, had discovered the previously secret library cave. He became extremely excited. On March the 16th, Stein went to the Magao Caves and looked for Abbot Wang. Unfortunately, Abbot Wang had gone elsewhere to raise money for the renovation of the caves. Stein decided to wait until Abbot Wang came back, rather than risk getting into trouble by investigating without permission. We described in previous episodes the subsequent events following Abbot Wang's return, and also how Stein achieved fame and a knighthood for bringing back to Britain a large quantity of Dunhuang manuscripts and other artworks. Whilst he was waiting for Abbot Wang, 
Stein spent the time excavating a few Han Dynasty Great Wall relics in the northwest of Dunhuang, where he also made some astonishing discoveries. He found many bamboo slips on which the ancient Chinese wrote with brush and ink before paper was invented. Those bamboo slips, also known as the Han slips, are of high historical, scientific and artistic value as they recorded various aspects of the political, military, cultural, diplomatic and social life in the Hertzi Corridor along the Silk Road. Besides the bamboo slips, Stein also discovered some rare ancient paper letters. Perhaps the most famous ones are those Sogdian ancient letters. They are a group of five paper documents, and they are the earliest substantial texts written in the Sogdian language. These letters, as part of the Stein collection, are now kept in the British Library in London. Oral Stein found the letters at a watchtower to the west of Dunhuang. The letters were in a mailbag lost or confiscated in transit. The Sogdians, a group of people of Iranian origin, were important players in the commerce of the ancient Silk Road. These letters, written on paper in the early 4th century by Sogdian merchants and their family members in western China, provide a unique glimpse into the lives and preoccupations of foreign merchants in ancient China. Remarkably, two of the five letters were written by two ordinary Sogdian women, through which we get to know the love and pain that filled their life. In one of the letters, known by scholars as letter number one, a Sogdian woman named Miwune wrote to her mother, describing how she had been abandoned in Dunhuang by her rich merchant husband. Dear mother, blessing and homage, it would be a good day for him who might see you healthy and at ease. And for me, that day would be the best when we ourselves might see you in good health. I am very anxious to see you, but have no luck. Miwune said in the letter that she had tried to find someone to take her to her mother's house, but people made excuses not to do so, so she and her daughter Shane had to rely on charity from the priest of the local temple. For a woman with an absent husband at that time, leaving Dunhuang was never an easy task. Miwune wasn't allowed to leave unless her husband gave permission. The same events were recounted in more detail in letter number three, in which Miwune complained to her husband directly that he had left her destitute and had not even answered her letters. The missive started with the usual polite greetings, but as she described her misfortunes, she became more and more angry. Behold, I am living badly, not well, wretched, and I consider myself dead. Again and again I send you a letter, but I do not receive a single letter from you, and I have become without hope towards you. I obeyed your command and came to Dunhuang, and did not observe my mother's bidding or that of my brothers. Surely the gods were angry with me on the day when I did your bidding. I would rather be a dog's or a pig's wife than yours. Miwune's daughter added a postscript, explaining that she and her mother had been forced to become servants. But she seemed not to blame her father so much 
Instead, she put the blame on her father's business associate. The mother and daughter had hoped that this man would take them out of Dunhuang, but he let them down. He absconded, leaving the poor mother and daughter to settle his debts. Nobody knows what happened next. Those two letters are the only clues that were ever even alive. The only thing that we know for sure is that Miwane accomplished one incredible thing: she made her story heard. The second of the five Sogdian ancient letters is by far the longest and most informative one. It was written by a Sogdian merchant based in western China, perhaps in today's Langshu, a town in China's Gansu province, at the gateway to the Hertsi Corridor. He addressed two of his partners in Samarkand, the capital of Sogdiana, an ancient country of Central Asia that was more than 3,000 kilometers to the west of China. The letter was protected by an inner wrapper of brown silk. As well as an outer envelope of coarse fabric with delivery instructions. After the conventional words of greeting, the letter begins with news of the writer's agents or associates in various Chinese cities, with a report on the desperate political situation in China. The events described include a severe famine leading to the evacuation of the Chinese emperor from his capital and the sacking of some cities by the Xiongnu or Huns, the nomadic tribe from Central Asia. By comparing his account with those found in Chinese chronicles, these dramatic events can be identified as having taken place in the years 307 to 311. Those ancient letters serve as vivid evidence to further illustrate the rich history associated with the ancient Silk Road passing through Dunhuang. Soon after Stein left Dunhuang with loads of precious goods, Frenchman Paul Pelliot also removed a carefully selected collection of artifacts from the site. The manuscripts Pelliot collected are mainly from the Dunhuang Library Cave and contain many secular texts. Which provide a panoramic view of the economic, social, and legal development of medieval China. In our next episode, we will head to France to find out what Pelio brought home from Dunhuang. Special thanks go out to the Dunhuang Academy and San Liang Zhongdu for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, do give us a five-star rating or a review. I'm Graham Stevens. See you next time on the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast.